I have a vested interest in always looking for patterns because if I can always discern patterns, then they will guide me towards principles and I can leverage those principles to serve others. And I will tell you that is not a benefit and a blessing that is just reserved to me. That is absolutely available to you. And there are patterns all around you right now in your life, in your leadership, in your team, in your organization that are happening. They're already happening. The question is, is are you paying attention? Well, hey there, if we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. Well, we thought we were over. We thought we were done. We were on part six of a six-part series uh, that is focused on the five qualities of effective coaching. So in the first episode, we really understood impact, why it's so important for leaders who are focused on unleashing the best in others to learn how to properly play the role of coach. And then in the subsequent five episodes, we've walked through what we believe at Path Through Growth are five qualities that great coaches often focus on and should focus on. And really, this is the content that we're using to train our team. And we realize, man, this would be so helpful to share with the leaders that we work with every single day. So let's walk through them real quick. We said it's relational, curious, assertive, directional, and principle-based. And we wrapped up with the principle-based episode last time, uh, but gosh, there was so much to it and uh, there was so much worth unpacking that I realized, man, if we're not careful, part six is going to become an hour and a half episode. And so we're going to do part two of part six uh, because in part one of part six, and I know this is incredibly confusing, but I just want you to ride with me. We really walked through what is is principle-based coaching and why is it important? And one of the overarching thesis statements that we offered as kind of an undergirding for that episode was that if you want to get better at principle-based coaching, start by focusing on principle-based thinking. And so it's in that context that we asked the question, what is a principle? And the answer that we provided that we focus on at Path for Growth is that a principle is a concisely communicated statement of truth that transcends circumstances. And then in diving into why principles matter, we kind of unpacked two paragraphs that were written by the father of modern management, Peter Drucker. And one of the things that Peter says that's just so absolutely brilliant, it's almost mind-blowing, is he says that the most effective executives in the world don't actually make that many decisions, but rather they make a few decisions at the highest possible conceptual level. And when we're talking about addressing issues and addressing challenges and confronting opportunities and thinking about problems within your organization, within your life and within your leadership, and certainly if you're coaching someone else to do the same, that's what we're talking about with regard to principle-based thinking is we're saying, lift your eyes above all the variables, all the complexities, all the minutia, all the confusion, and focus your attention on the highest possible conceptual level. Because one of the things that we talk about all the time within Path for Growth Coaching is if you want to make someone day better, help them solve a problem. If you want to make someone's life better, help them learn a principle. And so then we focused on what principles can do for you as a leader and certainly what can they do for the people that you coach? Well, number one, they can simplify. They take all those variables, they take all that complexity and they simplify it by getting above it. Uh, Number two, they can help you sustainably solve Um, Number three, they can help you scale. One of the things that we said in the previous episode is that if you want compliance from your team members, establish policies all day, establish policies, right? But if you want creativity, establish principles. You know, I, I think this was the genius behind the founding fathers of our country in so many ways is we created a set of principles that were documented in primarily the Declaration of Independence and then the Constitution of the United States and associated with the Constitution of the United States was the Bill of Rights. And those were some overarching principles that weren't dramatically specific, right? And because they addressed some of the fundamental beliefs and morals and values that would serve as the undergirding of our country, it gave people a framework by which they could operate in as a constructive citizen of our country without being constrained by the totalitarian oppression of 
policies. And I mean, many would argue, me being one of those many, that one of the areas where we've drifted from that original vision of what our country can be, what our country is, and what our country was created to be is we've drifted from giving people the freedom to operate within principles, and now we're just getting into this habit and this routine of establishing policies. And instead of the creativity of human ingenuity that this country was built on, we're focusing more on compliance. And uh, this isn't a political episode, so I'm not going to go any further than I just got, but but you get what I'm talking about here. And the same can be true within your organization. Make no mistake, um, if you're a CEO, you can be a totalitarian dictator. It's absolutely possible. And and it would actually probably be really wise for you to reckon with the fact that you have the ability to do that within you. And, And because if you reckon with that, then you will be outrageously vigilant of not becoming that. And recognize that as your organization grows, the temptation and the proclivity for establishing policies and principles in order to exert control will never be greater than when you're growing. But I would challenge you that what we're focusing on today is help people learn principles because that's trusting in their humanity and believing in the fact that they are a human being because that is trusting in their humanity. So number one, they simplify. Number two, they solve. Number three, they scale. And then number four, they separate. One of the greatest values, especially if you're entering into a coaching role that principles will provide you with and operating within principle-based coaching will provide you and the person that you're working with is they will remove and extract the emotions, the feelings, and the biases from the situation. Because what did we say a principle is? Well, it's a statement of truth that transcends circumstances. And one of the reasons why principles have been so helpful for me as a leader um, is because the principles don't care about my emotions, right? The, The principles don't care about how I'm feeling. The principles are just true. And my emotions aren't gonna change the principles. This is why it's so helpful for you to define some of the principles that you stand on as a leader, that your organization stands on, and then help other people to do the same before you need to use them. Because whenever you're embroiled in emotions and feelings and stress and pressure and temptation and all of these different things, that's a really crummy time to start thinking about what your guiding principles are. Way better to establish some lines, establish some boundaries, establish some core fundamental beliefs ahead of time so that when that day comes, because it will come, so many of your decisions are already made. So they simplify, they solve, they scale, and then they separate. And so today, what we're going to walk into is just a very pragmatic episode on how to practice principle-based coaching. And and so remember, we are a coaching organization. And so the impact-driven leaders that we work with, typically business owners or uh, decision-making leaders within an organization, they come to us and they operate as our customers and we coach them using the five qualities that we focus on and especially using um, the tactics that we're about to walk through today. But coach is not reserved to a customer-coach situation, right? If you are a leader, you are a coach. And the question is not, are you coaching? The question is, how are you coaching? And what I will tell you is if you can become a positive and inspiring and engaging and a proactive and responsible coach, that could be one of the greatest impacts you could make on your team's culture, on your team members' individual engagement, and on their perception of your workplace as a place that deeply cares about them. And so this is really worth you focusing on as a leader. And so it's it's within that, that we are going to focus on four tactics for principle-based coaching today. Number one is we're going to notice the pattern. Number two is we're going to identify the principle. Uh, Number three is we're going to collaborate to make the principle practical. And then number four is understand that reality is imperfect. And what's so cool is that these tactics uh, honestly transcend relationship, right? So it could be you working with a team member. It could be you working with a colleague. I would argue you could even use these tactics to serve your leader if you work it within an organization, but it goes way beyond your organization. You can use these tactics with customers. You can use these tactics with family members. You can use these tactics with friends. Now, I almost hesitate a little bit to say use these tactics because I know there's some people that have this bias in their head that immediately start thinking, oh, this is a tool for manipulation. 
And, and I will tell you, this is not a tool for manipulation. This is just a tool. Now, how you use the tool uh, could be to motivate or it could be to manipulate. And, and so how do we distinguish between the two? Well, we talked about this, I believe it was in the Curious episode of this series. We said that you only use these tactics in the best interest of the other person. That's how you know you're not trying to manipulate someone is if you're leveraging these tactics in service of the other person's best interest, in service of your team members, your family members, your friends, your colleagues, your customers' best interest. And so that's the motive that really matters for using the tactics that we're going to be talking about today. Because you could absolutely use these to manipulate someone. There's no doubt in my mind you could do that. But why would you do that if you're a coach that actually cares? And so number one, we need to make sure we care. And then number two, we always need to make sure we check our motive and say, okay, I'm going to use these tactics in the best interest of the person that I'm talking to. So let's start with notice the pattern. This is related to the idea that we addressed at the beginning of this episode and we unpacked in the previous episode that if you want to get better at principle-based coaching, then it would be wise to get better at principle-based thinking. And here's what I want you to understand. If there's a pattern, then there's a principle. And so one of the first things that you can do to improve yourself, to improve your ability to recognize and understand and articulate principles in service of others is just to become a person that is vigilantly seeking out patterns. Because there are patterns all around us. Now, now, what is a pattern? Well, let's just look at a definition real quick. A reliable sample of traits, acts, tendencies, or other observable characteristics of a person, group, or institution. So a pattern is when you start to see something showing up in the same way more than once. It is a very, very simplified way of saying that. And so what's so cool about what we're talking about right now is when you start to recognize how valuable this is, you'll start to have this radar open. And, and this is why I just love the content space. And this is why I'm just so grateful for what I get to do for a living is because I have a vested interest in always looking for patterns because if I can always discern patterns, then they will guide me towards principles and I can leverage those principles to serve others. And I will tell you that is not a benefit and a blessing that is just reserved to me. That is absolutely available to you. And there are patterns all around you right now in your life, in your leadership, in your team, in your organization that are happening. They're already happening. The question is, is are you paying attention? So some of this a little bit is saying, okay, we're going to broaden our awareness and we're going to start looking for the things that are occurring in the same way. But what I want you to understand is that you don't want to jump to a conclusions as to why they're occurring the same way. All we're talking about at this stage is just noticing, just noticing, man, whenever I do that, it always creates a positive reaction. Or whenever I do that, it always creates a negative reaction. Or whenever I see other people do that, it always creates a negative reaction. Or man, when people do things this way, Way, it benefits them, right? That's what we're talking about. Just looking out for patterns. And what I want you to know is, is that there's two kind of versions of patterns. And depending on the version of pattern that you're recognizing is going to really dictate and determine the way that you present the principle that we are going to identify. Because you can find patterns in your personal experience. And what we're talking about here is experiential patterns. And we've already talked about some of these. It's like, man, when I do this, then this is often the result. It turns out that when I encourage people, when I uplift people, when I walk around with a smile on my face, then I attract more positive interactions to me. It's like, okay, well, that's a pattern that is related to my personal experience. Now, what I want to remind you of is something that we talked about uh, in the assertive episode that we shouldn't forget. It's that experience is experience. Experience is not authority. So the fact that there's a pattern in your personal experience is extremely valid and probably worth talking about. But don't believe that your experience is everyone's experience. And don't uh, draw the conclusion that because it operates this way in my life, that means it's a principle for everyone's life. 
So does that mean we can't articulate any principles that we think are true for the world at large? Absolutely not. We just need a, a different level of pattern or a different level of indicator. So there's experiential patterns, but then I would say there's evidence-based patterns. And these are based on societal evidence. So the, the more evidence you have, the more assertive you can be, right? If we see evidence in biology, or if we see evidence maybe biblically, or if we see evidence historically, or if we see evidence in other people's lives observationally, if we see evidence spiritually, if we see evidence conversationally, if we see evidence through our studies or through our intellectual work, right? If we find evidence for the pattern that we've experienced ourselves in other people, in other scenarios, in other circumstances, in other cultures, well, then we've got societal evidence. And I will tell you, the more evidence you have, the more assertive you can be. Think about that for a second, because I think it's really important. One of the five qualities of effective coaching that we talked about was um, the ability to be assertive. And what does assertive mean? Well, it means that you're able to make confident and bold statements in service of the person that you're talking to. And we said that sometimes you don't serve someone best with the questions you ask, but rather there are occasions, although rare, where you can serve people best with the statements that you make. And one of the things that we said is that healthy assertions are often principle-based. And so now what we're saying is the more evidence you have with regard to the principle you've identified, the more assertive you can be in articulating it. Let's think of an example where this shows up. Um, okay, here's a great example. Uh, Financial Peace University. I'm, I'm sure you've heard of this. If you haven't, you should check it out. Dave Ramsey built that program, I mean, probably 25 years ago, right? And it, uh, it is a proven path for helping people become debt-free, build wealth, and then live and give generously like no one else on the planet. And so um, when Dave had five people go through that program, you know, there were obviously some principles that were biblically based and, and that were common sense based that were true, but without a whole host of evidence of how that's worked with people, um, it's it's a little bit harder to talk really, really confidently, boldly, and assertively the way that you could now. Because think about financial peace now. Millions of people have been through that program. And, and millions of people have seen their lives change through that program. Millions of people have gotten out of debt. I mean, the data is just insane, right? And so with all of that data, mounds and mounds and mounds of data, I mean, that's a, a fair, I mean, it's just a mountain of evidence that it's like, okay, we can talk pretty assertively about the fact that these things work. These things are true. This path is a positive path if you want to live a life of financial security, prosperity, and generosity. And, and so I don't do do that as an ad for Financial Peace University. I promise you they're not sponsoring this podcast. What I do that as is to illustrate the fact that, man, if you want to be able to be assertive, well, start looking for evidence around the assertions that you want to be able to make. This is why I'm just obsessed with studying the topic of growth right now from multiple angles, multidimensional analysis and study of the topic of growth, whether it be spiritually or biologically or psychologically or organizationally. There's so many lenses through which we can look at this. And what's so cool is looking through all those lenses, there start to be some facts and patterns that you can recognize that line up regardless of which lens you're looking through. So you're building a mound of evidence. So it's like, there's some things that I can say about growth and specifically healthy growth pretty assertively. Great example of that is healthy growth is identity-based. We talk about this all the time, and we're going to be talking about it more on a podcast episode coming up. But one of the things that we always say is bad growth is rooted in what you do. Good growth is rooted in who you are. Now, there are so many uh, biblical references that we could use to highlight that, right? And to really, really point to that. And that serves as one realm of evidence. But what's another realm of evidence? Well, my personal experience, right? When I think more about the person that I'm called to be and let that inform the things that I'm going to do, I'm way more effective at sticking with it. But okay, what do we say earlier? Experience is just experience. Experience is not authority. So we've got the Bible, we've got my experience. Well, then there's mounds and mounds of science, data, and other work from other intellectuals who would affirm the fact that the healthiest and most life-giving and most sustainable way to engage in a pattern and routine of consistent growth is to root it in the identity of who you are called to be and not simply the activity that you're going to do. 
And so you could read Atomic Habits, you could read Growth Mindset by Carol Dweck, you could read The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. There's so much data and so much study and so many research experience done that prove that this is true. So we've got evidence biblically, we've got evidence experientially, we've got evidence based on these intellectuals and researchers and studies from a wide variety of fields and backgrounds. So it's like, I can talk pretty assertively about the fact that healthy growth is identity-based. And I'm not going to say healthy growth might be identity-based or healthy growth could be identity-based. Why? Because I've got a mound of evidence that says that it is. Does that mean that I can't be wrong? Of course I can be wrong. We can always be wrong and we should always hold with a loose grip the fact that we think that we're right. But it's okay to think that you're right sometimes, especially if it's supported by evidence. And so number one, notice the pattern and then start seeking evidence for that pattern and try to determine, okay, is this an experiential principle that's related to my personal life experience? Or is there societal evidence in other arenas and other fields that support this principle? And so your assertiveness should be proportionate to the evidence that you can find. And this is so cool because we already talked about you've got your radar open looking for patterns because if there's a pattern, then there's a principle. Well, then once we start to distinguish some patterns, then we can start to look in other arenas and other areas for where that shows up and we get to become researchers. And so it just makes you into a person that's outrageously curious and outrageously interested. And it's it's like, it's kind of unlocks Pandora's box of why would you not be the person that's asking questions and investigating patterns all the time because there's just so much you could possibly learn about human nature, about organizational culture. There's so much behind this that just becomes so exciting if we start to understand the process of how this works. So what I would like to do is in transition to the next step, which is to identify the principle, I want to call out some patterns that I've noticed that have informed um, some of the principles that serve as the undergirding for what we teach at Path for Growth. Now, we teach a lot of principles at Path for Growth, right? We send one every single Wednesday in our Worth It Wednesday email. We say we send a principle worth learning, and it's a statement of truth transcends circumstance. If you want to get on that email list, we'll put the link to it in the show notes. But what I want to share with you is the patterns that I observed that then led to the principles we teach. So here's uh, three patterns that I've observed. Number one, well, one of the things that I observed and that I saw and that you've probably seen as well, but you may not have called it a pattern is <laughs> I said, well, the world is going crazy. And, and that's not just something I think that's something that uh, like I've had conversations with large numbers of people unsolicited and unbiased about, right? And people say, what is going on? People are going crazy. Things are going insane. And, and so there's polarization, there's division, there's dissension, there's aggression, right? There's all these things that are going on that are crazy and insane. Now, people who are regularly attending to a source of truth seem to be in the best shape in the midst of all that craziness. So that's one of the things that I realized, and that's one of the things that I reckoned with, is I said, okay, things are going a little bit wild, and the people who seem to be staving off the wild or not just jumping headfirst into the cultural whirlwind of what's going on right now are people that are consistently exposing themselves to truth. And, and really have a, a pretty firm understanding of what is true. And so where's the evidence for that? Well, there's experiential evidence where I've found that if and when I am spending time with truth and what I believe to be true, then instead of being scattered, fragile, feeble, and weak, and caught up in all the craziness, I end up finding myself being centered, healthy, stable, and strong. And so I have that experiential. But then I've also had a lot of conversations with a wide variety of people from a wide variety of backgrounds, cultures, faiths, ethnicities, all of that. And this seems to be a pretty common theme in the conversations related to the insanity is when I spend a little bit of time each morning, it just helps me make sure I don't get caught up in everything that's going on. And then there's a couple other things that I can notice. I I can notice that some of the most centered people I know aren't getting on social media a ton and aren't watching a ton of Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, pick your poison. So it's like, it's just noticing those things. Right now, I wouldn't say that's mounds of evidence, right? But I would say, man, that's some evidence, right? And there's a pattern there. Okay, so that's the pattern. Now, let's just take that example and we'll use a couple examples and say, okay, what's the principle? Well, first, 
Let's remember what a principle is. We said it's a concisely communicated statement of truth that transcends circumstance. Now think about all the words that I just gave you, right? I just gave you a bunch of words about the fact that the world is going a little bit insane. There's this cultural crazy whirlwind going on. And in the midst of that, that when I spend time with what I believe is true, or when I notice other people do that, it helps them be centered, healthy, stable, and strong instead of scattered, fragile, feeble, and weak, right? That's a lot of words, right? And, and there's something that I want you to know that's really important and related to what we're talking about right now. And then I'll give you the principle. Language creates culture. And so if I give everyone all of that, right, they're, they may remember it conceptually, but they're not going to be able to re-articulate it and communicate it. So they'll probably understand and remember the idea, right? And maybe, especially if they resonate with the idea, but they're not going to be able to, to carry it with them in such a way that it creates power because it was concise enough for them to actually remember. So how do we go from all of that jumbled mess to a principle that is a concise statement of truth that transcends circumstance? Well, you you, you know the pattern, right? Now, how do we get above the pattern to identify the principle? Well, the principle that we've defined at Path for Growth is exposure to truth guards against insanity. I'll say it again. Exposure to truth guards against insanity. Think about how in a concise way that communicates everything that we just talked about as a pattern that was a little bit jumbled, a little bit maybe confusing, and very, very, very wordy. What did we say concise means? It means the most effective and efficient way to send the message you want to send. So it still sends the message. It means that you need truth to get keep from getting caught up in the whirlwind, but it does it in a really, really compact way that people can actually remember and language creates culture. So when we pass that on, it's like, man, they they may say, oh man, I want to write that down, right? Or, or I want to remember that, or I want to keep that in my mind, or I can use that, right? And maybe they'll be sitting down tomorrow morning and they'll remember exposure to truth guards against insanity. I need to dive into some truth. So you get what we're doing here? We're noticing the pattern. And then within that pattern, we're spending some time wordsmithing. Okay, okay, what is the overarching principle? Okay, let's move on to the next one. Here's the pattern. One of the things that I've noticed and that I've seen and that I've read about is that there are people and businesses that seem to get more miserable and less effective the larger they get. Okay, I mean, I've seen this for myself, that if I'm not careful, our business can be growing, but I can be dying. And have you felt this before? I mean, this is at the crux of everything it means to, to practice healthy growth, right? And this is where this came from is I, I had this experience six months into building the business where I realized, man, the business was pointing up into the right, but it wasn't the only thing that was pointing up into the right. My stress level was also pointing up into the right. And that's not a good thing, right? So I've noticed that with myself, but then I've also seen this with others. I've been coaching business leaders now for gosh, five, six years. And so I've been having one-on-one -on -one or group conversations with owners of organizations or leaders within their teams for six years. And one of the things that I've seen is that just because your business is growing doesn't mean you feel happy, centered, content, or fulfilled. In fact, one of the things that I've noticed as a trend is that a lot of times the bigger your business grows, the more miserable you become. Now, that's certainly not a guarantee, but I would argue based on my observation over hundreds of hours and hundreds of phone calls and hundreds of conversations that that is a tendency. So therefore it's a pattern. And I, I bet you've seen this as well. And then we've seen story after story after story that just in tragically where someone that appeared as though they had everything and everything looked so good externally was crumbling internally. We've all heard those stories. Okay, so we've got all of that evidence and all of that evidence points to a pattern. And I would say that's a pretty uh, irrefutable mound of evidence. So then what is the principle? Well, again, a principle is a concisely communicated statement of truth that transcends circumstance. And this is the principle that we teach all the time. Health and growth are not the same thing. So we've got all of that evidence. That evidence is distilled into a pattern and then we say, okay, what is the principle that we want to teach out of that? Well, one of the principles, there's many, but one of the principles that we can teach out of that is that health and growth are not the same thing. Or just because you're growing doesn't mean you're healthy. And that's an overarching statement of truth that transcends circumstance. It doesn't say that you can't be healthy if you're growing. It doesn't say that at all because that wouldn't be true. 
And so that's actually a pretty important point to point out is if you're going to state a principle, especially if you're going to state a principle as a statement of truth, don't jump to conclusions too quickly just because it sounds catchy or clever. There's a lot of people that sacrifice truth because something sounds good, catchy, or clever. And I don't want you to do that because that's really, really not helpful for you as a principle-based thinker. And then it's even more harmful for you as a principle-based coach. So I am not saying health and growth can't occur at the same time. Absolutely not. What I am saying is they're not the same thing. And so this is where you need to get really careful with your language and really careful with your communication. And and, um, this is where some people say, I'm just not a communicator. I'm just not good at this stuff. And I would tell you, (laughs) we need to change your language in that sentence a little bit because communicator is not an identity. Communication is a skill. I mean, if you go into a hospital, they don't say, oh my gosh, it's a boy or it's a girl or, oh my gosh, it's a communicator, right? That's turns out they don't say that, right? They say it's a boy or a girl. And then that boy or girl may have natural proclivities, tendencies, or gifts towards effective communication. But regardless, it is something that can be learned. And so I, I just would tell you, if this is something that you struggle with. There might not be anything that would be as helpful for you expanding your leadership capacity and ability as you becoming more articulate and more effective with the language that you're using. And there are proven ways to do this. There's a handful of great books. Um, There's Speak Like Churchill, Stand Like Lincoln. There's Everyone Communicates, Few Connect by John Maxwell. How to Win Friends and Influence People has some good communication tips and topics in it. And then I would tell you more than that, read a lot, write a lot, and have a ton of conversations. That would be my path for you to become a better communicator. Read a lot of good books that use great language and incredible vocabulary where you don't understand it all. There's a lot of books right now that are being written for you to read at a second grade level because they dumb it down to what you can already understand. What would it look like for you to start reading in a 12th grade level? right? What would it look like for you to read books that contain words that you have to look up? That would be really, really good for you because you're going to learn in doing that. Okay. So, so read a lot, write a lot. Clear writing is an indication of clear thinking. And if you want to fix your thinking, then one of the most external easiest ways to do that is, well, force yourself to write it because it will help you understand how your thoughts go together. And then it will help you start to think about, okay, how do I transmit these in a way that they will actually be understandable? And then lots of conversations. And I would say lots of conversations with great communicators. But uh, I say all that in this context, just to tell you that if you really struggle with, man, I've got the pattern and I see the pattern, but I don't know how to communicate it in a way that is concise and memorable, that is a skill and you can learn that skill. It's just going to take time. So we said exposure to truth guards against insanity, health and growth are not the same thing. Let's do one more. Well, there was a pattern that I noticed and and that that if there's a problem or challenge in your life or relationships, you can't move forward until you are willing to actually call it a problem. Gosh, there's a lot of evidence to this. So uh, one of the things that I've noticed is, man, I can't move forward on anything until I'm willing to own it right? And I've noticed that experientially for me. If I've got a challenge, if I've got an issue, like it will not move forward and I will not grow out of that thing unless I actually own it and name it. So I've noticed that with myself. Now that's an experiential principle or it's experiential evidence at that point. Okay. So then what else could we look at? Well, I've worked with tons of customers that one of the things that I've learned is if I can't get them to name it and acknowledge it, it doesn't matter how much I see the issue that's going on in their team and their organization and their life and in their leadership. They've got to name it they've got to call it out. Otherwise we can't move forward. Okay. So that's now a little bit more evidence. Well, then what else could we do? There's so many examples of this, but one we could look at is the Alcoholics Anonymous program, right? There is so much that is fascinating about human nature. And I would even argue the gospel woven into the Alcoholics Anonymous 12 steps. And I believe that's why they've been so effective. But what is the first step within Alcoholics Anonymous or any recovery program? Acknowledge that you have a problem. The steps of grief or stages of grief. This isn't something that I'm outrageously familiar with, but one of the things that I know to be true is that the first stage of grief is denial. 
And if we can't move past denial, then we'll never, ever reach acceptance and forward movement and forward motion. And so, gosh, we've got the stages of grief. We've got Alcoholics Anonymous. We've got talking to a wide variety of customers and noticing this as a trend. And then uh, we've got my personal experience. I would say like, man, that's probably, that's probably enough evidence for us to say this is a pattern. Okay, so that's what we're looking for whenever we're saying we need to find a pattern that has evidence to back it up so that we can speak assertively. Now, how do we rise above all that? Well, the principle that we teach all the time in Path for Growth is that you will never fix what you refuse to see. So see, we took all that, all that word vomit and we tried to distill it down in a concisely communicated statement of truth that transcends circumstance. So it rises above circumstance and it's communicated in a way that's effective and memorable. We're still communicating the same way. We're just doing it in a way that's more effective and more memorable. You will never fix what you refuse to see. So again, this is a skill and it takes time. You're going to be able to notice patterns pretty quick, I'd I'd imagine, especially if you're looking for them. What you're not going to be able to do right off the bat is be able to say, okay, out of that pattern, I'm going to pull this principle. That is difficult, but I will tell you the only way to get better at doing things that are difficult to such a degree that they become easy is practice, right? It's just practice and it's just a standard of commitment. And I'd point us back to the statement that Freud made where he said, you will never become a master unless you're willing to look like a fool. (laughs) There there will be times just like whenever you do anything new, you're going to feel foolish and that's okay. It's okay to be foolish because I mean, the greatest threat to growth is the idea that you're grown, right? So I would rather you be a fool that's growing than someone that thinks they've got it all figured out. Notice the pattern, identify the principle. Now we're going to shift from principle-based thinking, that's what we've basically talked about up into this point, to principle-based coaching. What's the next step? Collaborate to make the principle practical. So you as a coach can identify the principles, and I would tell you, you should constantly be on the lookout in your coaching conversations for the principles that are at play with regard to the circumstances, variables, and situations that the individual sitting across from you presents you. And so this is where you got to be a really, really active listener because you're listening to what they're saying, but then you're also looking for what's actually going on. You're trying to identify the concepts that are related to their communication. And so what do we say? If you want to make someone's day better, help them solve a problem. If you want to make someone's life better, help them learn a principle. So in your coaching conversation, you don't want to completely ignore the day-to-day problem that they're working on right? We, we do need to address that, right? And so, so often we'll have someone come onto call and, and they'll have a hiring issue or they'll have an issue related to the growth of their business, or they'll have an issue related to a team member, or they'll have an issue related to a contract negotiation that they're going through. There's a whole myriad of things that they might want to address. And it's, it's a very real problem in that moment. And so what we don't want to do is just say, we're only talking about principles. Sorry, we can't talk about that day-to-day tactical issue. (laughs) That's not very helpful, right? And remember, we're serving this person. But here's the deal. Too many coaches stop when the problem is solved. And I would tell you that you are leaving so much on the table in terms of how you can serve the person if you just stop with solving the problem. I want us to solve the problem, but then what do we do once we solve the problem? Well, the best thing you can do is ask a really creative and critical question. And here's what we train our coaches to ask. What's the principle that applies to this situation, right? So so you work through the individual day-to-day variables that they're going through right now. We walk towards a solution that they feel good about. And then you say, okay, I don't just want us to solve this problem. I want us to get above it and figure out the principle so that if other problems related to this come up in the future, we've got, we've got some understanding of how you can solve this on your own. I mean, this is very, very comparable to teach a man to fish, right? Instead of just giving him a fish. And so then you ask them, what is the principle that applies to this situation? And it may take some time and we may have to work through it. And they may say, I don't know. And if they say, I don't know, I want you to challenge them and say, think about it, spend some time on it and maybe coach them a little bit on what a principle is. It's a concisely communicated statement of truth that transcends circumstance, but What if you were to not only be a great principle-based thinker yourself, what if you were able to transfer principle-based thinking to the people that you coach and lead? 
And so one of the best ways to do that is, hey, what is the principle that applies to this situation that we just talked about? And then get them to write it down and say, okay, how could that work itself out in the future? And how could we leverage that principle in that future? And how, how could you teach that principle to your team? These are all things that you can do as a coach. Now, there's another route that we could go here. One of the ways that you can serve someone as a coach is you could identify the principle, right? So you could say, hey, one of the things that I know to be true is that health and growth aren't the same thing. And then you ask them a question. And, and the question that you ask them is very related to the Peter Drucker paragraph we talked about in the, in the previous episode, where the next best action should be defined by them, not by you. So you could say, hey, one of the things that I know to be true is that health and growth are not the same thing. In light of that principle, what do you need to do in this situation? Or what are the next steps that you can take? So what we are walking towards there is we are collaborating with them to take the principle and make it practical, to make it pragmatic, to make it actionable. And so we're saying, hey, here's this overarching statement of truth. But if we just give them a statement of truth, that's like just giving them a book, right? And, and the book is good and helpful, but what they're really wanting from you as a coach is to collaborate with you on figuring out a forward path that is principle-based uh, that they feel confident in. And so you can provide the principle and then you can work with them to say, how does that apply to this situation? Okay, so we... Notice the pattern, we identify the principle, we collaborate with the person that we're working with to make the principle practical by either asking, hey, what is the principle that's at play here? Or here's the principle, how does that principle play out in this situation? And then the final thing is that if you're going to be a principle-based thinker and and if you're going to be a principle-based coach, you need to understand that reality is imperfect. And this feels like a little bit of a left turn almost out of this episode, but I think it's really, really important for us to attend to um, because it's related to one of the topics we talked about earlier in this series, which is the topic of wisdom and discernment. And I've been listening to a series of messages by Tim Keller recently on the book of Proverbs, and he really walks through the topic of wisdom. And one of the things that he keeps coming back to, I want to read to you. He says that wisdom is more than being moral and good. Wisdom is knowing something about how the world works so that you'll know what the right thing to do is in the majority of life situations in which the moral rules don't apply. So within that idea is that there's a lot of times where it's not that we're deciding between good and bad. It's sometimes we're deciding between what could be good, but what's actually wise, And so within that, there can be a lot of principles at play that tell us which way to go. But then the the other thing that we need to understand is that wise people, how can we describe wise people? Well, wise people are people that have competence with regard to the realities of life. And this is really what I want to hit home on at the close of this episode and really at the close of the series as a whole. I think it's just an excellent bookend for us to be coaches that are not just theoretical, but actually outrageously practical in the way that we work with people. So wisdom is competence with regard to the realities of life. What is a reality of life? And, and what I want you to understand within all this is that principles represent an ideal, Right. Principles are this statement of truth that represents what is largely true when things are operating in motion and in pattern. Right. And and that's because we literally discerned them by first noticing patterns. Right. So in general, they're a rule that we would say, yeah, by and large, this is true. And it represents an ideal about what is true. But what's so challenging sometimes is that there's so many books written and talks given and podcasts recorded that focus so much on the ideal that we often forget as leaders, we don't live in the ideal, right? You are an imperfect person that's working with imperfect people in imperfect situations trying to achieve excellent outcomes. That is reality. And so if you're going to be wise, if you're going to have competence with regard to the realities of life, you need to recognize that these principles represent the ideal, but we don't always live in the ideal. 
So what are some examples of this? Well, I, I mean, I would say that the Bible in many ways, especially Psalms and Proverbs, represents a lot of principles that represent an ideal, but it's not always true in individual situations. Does it mean that it's not truth? Absolutely not. It is truth. It just doesn't mean that there's not sometimes anomalies. So what are some examples of this? Psalm 92, 12. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, we're not going to do a commentary on that verse. But I mean, what it's saying is like the people that do the right thing are going to flourish. Good things are going to happen in their world and good, like things will go well for them. Would we say that that's a principle? Would we say that that's a statement of truth? I would say yes. Like largely that is true. And it depends on how we define flourish. But I would say a lot of times if you do the right things, good things happen oftentimes. But have you ever been in a situation Have you ever seen someone in a situation or have you ever known someone in a situation where it feels like you or they did all the right things, but the results were still bad? I know I have, and I think we would all say that we have. And the reason why we'd say we have is because we'd say, well, that's the real world. And what we're saying there is that's reality. Does it discount the principle? No, but... If you take that principle and take the ideal and apply it universally to all of life all the time, well, then you're going to be a really screwy thought leader. But more than that, you're going to be a coach that could actually really damage people because some of the conclusions that you could draw from that principle, if you just say this is universal truth that's all right all the time is, okay, well, if you're not flourishing, then that means you're not righteous. And is that always true? No, absolutely not. And so we don't want to use that principle to beat people over the head. Oh, you're not flourishing. That must mean you're doing something wrong. Not good coaching because it's not necessarily true. And so we need to remember that as a coach, you have a responsibility to be wise with the way that you leverage principles. Let's go to another one. Proverbs 28, 19. He who tills his land will have plenty of food, but he who follows empty pursuits will have poverty and plenty. Have we seen situations where that is true? I have. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen how people that are diligent and disciplined and self-controlled with the way they manage what is under their control and their stewardship oftentimes have plenty of food. And let's be very clear here. This is a metaphor. They have plenty of resources and they are provided for, right? And then I've also seen how people who follow empty pursuits and chase things that don't matter will have poverty, right? We've all seen evidence of how that happens. But have you ever seen someone who seems to be following empty pursuits and is wealthy? I have, I've really seen it. Like they don't like it depends on how we define poverty, but it's like man, they're following empty pursuits or what I believe to be empty pursuits and like they they are furthest from poverty. In fact, they're very wealthy. Also, have we seen someone who works hard, is disciplined, is self-controlled and is diligent and uh, ends up poor? There are absolutely examples of that. And This is what's so important is we know that the reality of life is imperfect. Does it mean that the principle isn't true? No, it doesn't mean that the principle isn't true. It just means that the principle isn't always universally applicable. And again, it calls for our wisdom. Okay, let's move on to a third one. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Um, I'm not a parent, but I've heard that in general, this is true, right? Man, if you're really intentional about parenting your kid really, really well, then man, they're going to walk right paths, do good things, and ultimately be a responsible individual and contributing adult. And I think we could all say like, okay, yes, in general, that is true. But have you ever met a kid that it's like, man, your parents did everything right, I don't know how you went off the deep end the way that you did. And maybe some of you are in that situation, right? Where you're a parent and you're like, I've done everything I know how. And not only that, I've done everything I know how. And with one kid, it worked awesome. And they're an all-star and they're a contributing member of society and they're a believer and they're, they're a clean individual. And then on this other hand, it looks like a radically different person. And, and I've got one kid that's great and one kid that has very much wandered off the path. 
And so how do we explain that? Do we say, well, you were just a really bad parent to that other kid? No, because that's not always the case. But if we say that the principle is universally true, well, if you would have trained up the child in the way he should go, he wouldn't have departed from it. So clearly it's your fault. No, because it's not always true. Does it mean the principle isn't truth? Absolutely not. It just means that it's not universally applicable. And so the reason why I think this is such a important thing to focus on at the bookend of this series is because if you're going to be an effective coach, it's going to require a lot more nuance than I could ever teach you in a podcast episode. Because podcast episodes, honestly, like I can share knowledge, right? And I can share what I've learned and I can share experience and hopefully I can impart some wisdom. But a lot of what we've talked about today is techniques and tactics, and wisdom really has very little to do with techniques and tactics because in reality, there's some best practices for serving people exceptionally well, but one of the best things that you can do to serve people exceptionally well is become a person of character that is trustworthy and wise. And so if you become a person of character that is trustworthy and wise, you will understand how to use all of these tactics and techniques at the right time. But if you don't become wise, then I guarantee you these tactics and techniques, uh, uh, they may be more harmful than helpful. And so I would challenge you at the end of this episode, as much as we focus on being relational coaches and as much as we focus on being curious coaches and assertive coaches and directional coaches, and as we talked about today, principle-based coaches, let's focus on being wise people. Because if you grow in wisdom, the number of doors it will open up for you and others, it will just be a multiplying effect that will overflow into every area of your life. And what's so cool is that all of this, especially that topic of wisdom, helps you become a leader that's worth following. Because what do we say at the very beginning of this series? We said that what is the highest calling of a leader to unleash the best in others, to not make them someone that they're not, but to make them more of who they actually are. And if you truly throw yourself at this work, because it is work, but if you truly go all in on it and, and give your life to it, man, you will have a front row seat to helping people change their life. Remember, they are changing their life, but you will have a front row seat to know that you contributed, to know that you served, and to know that you added value. Uh, Y'all, I hope that this series has been helpful. Um, as many of you are aware, we put content like this in written form and video form every Wednesday in our Worth It Wednesday email. I think that most email isn't worth it. So uh, every Wednesday we try to send one that is. We send a principle worth learning, a question worth answering, and a recommendation worth taking. Um, and you can sign up for that with the link that's in the show notes. The final thing that I'll say before we go is, uh, I mean, we've been walking through uh, the five qualities of effective coaching, and um, these are qualities that we want you to practice and apply yourself to, but this is also what we do, right? And and so much of the coaching that we've talked about on these episodes is the coaching that we practice, whether you're working with me as a one-on-one coach or someone from our team as a one-on-one coach or within a growth group, or even in the Path for Growth membership where you're part of our office hours conversations that are facilitated by our coaches. Like we are relentlessly committed to practicing these five qualities. And so if you want relationships with other like-minded leaders that are relational, that are curious, that are assertive, that are directional, and they're principle-based, man, we'd love to have a conversation with you about either one-on-one coaching or growth groups or the Path for Growth membership. And so if you are interested in that, all of the links to that are in the show notes, or just go over to pathforgrowth.com and uh, and send us a message, and we'd love to chat with you and see if it would be a good fit. Y'all, you know this. Our whole team is rooting for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Thank you.